I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a special interview edition of Sci-Fi Fidelity. This is Mike, and while we do a lot of written interviews at Den of Geek and a lot of audio interviews on our podcast, never before has an interview demanded an audio format quite as much as this one. Today I have the honor of speaking with composer John Paisano, who scored the first season of Marvel's Daredevil on Netflix, including the iconic main title theme. He's also known for composing the music for the movie Maze Runner. And for season two of Daredevil, he will be introducing themes for both Elektra and The Punisher. So let's go ahead and welcome to the podcast, Mr. John Paisano. Thank you. We're uh, talking, of course, about Daredevil on Netflix, which you are the composer for. And one of the most iconic parts of the soundtrack, if you will, is the main theme which kind of uses this alternating minor chord repeating in the background. Actually kind of reminded me a little bit of Maze Runner in a way, which has another repeating theme. For a main theme in general, what do you have to do to differentiate it from the rest of the soundtrack? Yeah, so the trick with the main title, and I think it's just a trick with main titles in general, you want to make them as accessible as possible and envelop the tonality of the show and try to set the audience up for what they're about to see. Um, We really wanted to try to keep the score as grounded as possible, and I think the same thing can hold true for the main title. We really wanted to make it memorable, and when I hear the word memorable, I always think of simplistic. You know, I think the more simple things are, the more clear melodies are, the more clear the idea is the people tend to hang on to that stuff a lot easier than something that's a little bit more complex so i wanted to take the mad murdoch theme in his most simplest form and and that's kind of how we arrived at the idea of piano and it's a combination of a couple different sounds but the main melody is kind of presented in a in a keyed instrument and then obviously we try to give it character and texture by providing, you know, interesting string ostinato that kind of goes with it. And then some of the, you know, we'll call it ear candy that's layered on top of all of that. <laughs> um, but in its truest form, it really is represented. The theme is really represented in a very, um, it's very obvious and very easy for people to, to, to you know, listen to what the melody is going to be and, and pick it out. So that with the combination of obviously the visual effects, you know, I think one presented without the other is not really the the full thing. I mean, the, the visual effects almost have, for at least for me, uh, when I hear that theme, it sounds naked to me unless I see it against the picture. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things to where they kind of really work hand in hand with each other. 
Well, one of the other uh, characters, if you will, that has to be depicted is Hell's Kitchen itself. So what elements of your music do you feel evokes the industrial feel of the setting? And how is it going to be revamped? Because I hear it's going to be a little bit different in the new season. Yeah, and this kind of comes to the greater question of when we, when Stephen Denight and I initially sat down and really and discussed kind of ideas for the score. Um, he really wanted to to kind of try a less is more approach, you know. And I think one of the main reasons why he wanted to do that because New York City, Hell's Kitchen, the city itself has a sound to it, you know. New York City is a very obviously vibrant, iconic atmosphere to play with. And we wanted to make sure that the music didn't overpower that. You know, it's one of the most recognizable things about New York, I think, is just the way it sounds. It's, it's definitely got its own sound to it. And it was important that the music provided the energy, provided the functionality that we needed, but at the same time, too, it had to really play in sync with the sound design, with the backgrounds, with, you know, all the different things that were that, that we needed to kind of stick out when it came to the post-sound um, of Daredevil. So the soundtrack really kind of had to play hand-in-hand with that idea. And so I think, it again, it comes back to how do we create something that's that's simple, that's sparse, but at the same time still provides the energy and the character that we're trying to get across. And I think that was the biggest challenge with Daredevil was, obviously, and speaking to Daredevil's character, he's a very different character than a lot of the other characters that we've kind of seen presented in the Marvel Universe. I mean, the Marvel stuff up until Daredevil has a tendency to be very bright, very comic bookish. It was very fantastical, you know, otherworldly. Um, the Daredevil character, Man Murdock, is very grounded in reality. He's he's handicapped. He's he lives in in New York City. He's uh, a lawyer. You know, there's all these things that that a lot of normal regular humans can relate to um, with his character. And then there's also a, a darker past with him um, than some of the other characters in the Marvel universe too. So there's he, he really does kind of have a, a darker, more weighty feel about him than you know Captain. America or, you know, some of these other characters that kind of have been presented to us. So in order to capture that, too, we wanted to make sure that the music was really grounded and, and, and made sure that it didn't propel him into this, like, you know, dun, 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 Superman, <laughs> yeah. you know, S type character. Um, and I think that also, I think that the, the minimalistic approach that we took with the score gives him kind of like a raw feel, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. And so that, that was definitely... Um, that was definitely by design, and, and that also plays into the whole idea of let's make people feel like they're in New York City. Let's make them feel like they're in Hell's Kitchen standing next to Matt Murdock, and, and how do we do that? Um, my approach has always been if you want to push people out of a scene and make them a viewer, make the music big, make it strong, bombastic, make people feel like they're watching a movie. If you want to bring people into a scene, it's almost the exact opposite. Let's pull the music back, make it music that's felt but not heard. And that kind of, I feel, brings people into a scene versus pushing them out of the scene. Now, is it going to be different when you're introducing characters like Elektra and the Punisher in season two? Do you have a different mood that you're going to be going for for those characters? 
Yeah, season two, you know, season one was such an origin story, and, and it, it, you're kind of centered around one problem that Mad Murdoch's dealing with. In season two, the storylines are deeper. They um, not not necessarily deeper, but there's there's just more going on. Obviously, we have an introduction of Electra. We have the introduction of Punisher. They bring their own stories with them. You know, already you know we're we're, we're getting into different areas that we never really had to touch on. And with with season one, it was so centered around Kingpin and everything. Also, too, I mean, at the end of season one, we finally see that Daredevil gets his costume. And and anytime you have a guy running around in a costume on screen, it has to be acknowledged a little bit differently than, let's say, when Daredevil was kind of more in his vigilante mode. But the trick was we didn't want to all of a sudden jump into this other universe musically or tonally, I would say, with the show just because he's got a costume on. You know, we still wanted to keep it still kind of in the world that we had created this with season one and and you know the showrunners for season two doug and marco did such a great job of of carrying the torch that steven handed off to them and um they really honored kind of the original vision of the show and i think they just have made it better um so i think everyone kind of did a good job of, of practicing patience and, and and making sure that we didn't you know all of a sudden we have all these new characters and, and new storylines we didn't all of a sudden just go crazy on the post-production side of things. Um, we really tried to keep it as under control as we possibly could. Okay, now speaking... I say under control in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> speaking specifically about uh, instrumentation rather than overall mood, one of my favorite songs in season one was the stick theme. kind of has a blind man's cane kind of sound to it, striking something. What did you use for that? What specific uh, instrumentation did you use for that? We used a cello bow. Ah. We used cello bow on the neck of the cello. Um, that's a technique called kakalengyo. And um, I could say that about a lot of the stick stuff. And there's a lot more of that stuff in season two. Oh, good. Yeah, and the whole idea with Daredevil when we first went into it, because when we first went into it, Stephen kept saying, you know, it would be cool if we could do something that was very industrial and 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 gritty and grungy and, and dark. Um, and I, I thought it was a great idea too, and I, I thought that was a really good way to go with it, especially because I kind of come from an orchestral background, and he definitely didn't want to, you know, just go full orchestral on the thing. He wanted to kind of save any type of orchestral stuff we did for moments um, where we really earned it. So the one approach that I really wanted to do is I wanted to try to use acoustic instruments in non-traditional forms in order to create our hybrid sound versus just using synths and sound design and, and stuff like that. So anytime we kind of try to reach for something unusual or, or try to create some sound design or, or create pads, we would always have them start off on acoustic instruments um, and then put them through different types of, you know, whether it was distortion or delay or drench them in reverb to make pads or, but it was always started off as an acoustic form. It's very rare that we ever just opened up a synth or just went straight in electric and did a kind of our hybrid sound that way, just because sometimes synth stuff has a tendency to have a cold feel to it. And even though Matt Murdock is a, a darker character. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And he is... Um, kind of can deserve that sound sometimes he does have a side to him where there's a lot of emotional intrigue so to say um about his character you know the relationship with his father and he he is kind of a a thoughtful superhero you know he's definitely got some emotional luggage and he's a he's a character too where we really get to kind of see his his feelings and and so i just wanted to make sure that there was a warmness um to him even even within a fight scene you know i wanted to make sure that we kind of always capture that and that's a great example of, of how we would kind of arrive at using a cello stick um i'll call it a cello stick you know in those <laughs> scenes um to kind of create you know rhythmic stuff and then also to that i mean stick it kind of has an ancient lore about him as well you know there is he's kind of a mystical character and a mystical figure um so kind of all those things contributed to his character as well so but we do get a lot of that stuff in season two you know i would say there's a lot of we'll call it like an old world sound you know we definitely kind of get more into that type of vibe in season two which i'm looking forward to people hearing it was sort of an asian flair yeah yeah it's definitely got the, the it's almost like taiko sticks yeah and speaking of symbolic use of sound, and I don't know if maybe I'm reading too far into it. No, I love that you are. <laughs> Make me look good. <laughs> There's like the feedback and the sonar sounds in songs like Worthy Opponents. And even the opening theme with the bell tones that sound like sonar. Yeah. Are those deliberate sound choices? No, that's that's definitely, you're definitely on onto something with that, for sure. We, you know, we also use like a lot of heartbeats for our pulses, but we definitely try to play the, with the idea of Matt kind of using these heightened sensibilities because of his blindness. And we try to play with some of that stuff in the score, you know, like if ever I use like a low pulsing beat, uh, we would try to do it out of a heartbeat. Uh, you're right on with the, with the higher toned elements and some of the feedback and delays and stuff kind of with the sonar um, capabilities that he used. But we, we definitely tried to, to play with those ideas. And it makes me glad to hear that, you know, people definitely kind of tune into some of that stuff because sometimes that stuff gets lost in the grand scheme of it all. But it, it all contributes to the to the final feel. So I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. One of the songs that actually puzzles me in an, in an opposite sense is Battling Jack Murdoch, which is one of the most beautiful tracks on the soundtrack.
But you would think with a title like that, you'd have a driving drumbeat, but it's actually quite poignant. So how do you combine the idea of the, the tragedy that befell Matt Murdock's father with the idea of him being a gifted boxer all in one song? Yeah, it was kind of like our farewell to Jack Murdock. You know what I mean? I was scoring that from the perspective of Jack and not so much from Matt. You know, it was kind of his last stand, so to speak. And we wanted to really score it from that perspective. And it's definitely a very epic sounding track. But I thought it was an important part of the story because so much of that kind of developed, I think, Daredevil's personality, you know, that kind of ties in with the opening monologue with when, when we kind of open up in episode one and he's in confession with the priest and he's talking about the Murdochs. And that's kind of like a whole Murdoch theme, Murdoch family theme. It's one of the only times because the majority of the score is definitely scored from the perspective of Daredevil and, and Matt. And I, and I, decipher them as two different people, even though they're the same person, um, <laughs> that every now and then we kind of went away. And when we did that, we made sure that it was, it was obvious. And that was definitely one of the moments. Well, one of the things that you also do, and I know a lot of composers do this, especially for movies and, and TV in the second half of Fogwell's gym, or even in Wilson Fisk's theme, you can actually hear the repeating chords from the main theme except with different instruments. I think they're electronic instead of strings. So how important do you think it is to bring back the main theme like that? I think it's important. In TV, it's tricky, though, just because um, Daredevil, I almost consider more of as like a film that was broken up into 13 parts versus, you know, network television kind of has a different throw to it as well. So they're, they're all kind of these, and then films, its own thing. And oh, totally. They, yeah. they kind of all have their own challenges to them. But with... With something like Daredevil, I think if with anything, I think it's I think it's really important that to to bring back thematic elements and and I think it gives a score character and makes it recognizable. It adds to the to the viewer's experience of the if it's done correctly, you know. And it's it's, it's a challenge to to pull it off. Um, it's more of a challenge I feel like to pull it off in television and and things like Daredevil serials because they are so long and you just don't want to keep drilling people over and over and over again. So you need a little bit of variety, you know. Because you're, you know, film's two hours long. The whole season of Daredevil is, you know, 13 hours long. You know what I mean? So it's it's a different, people have different tolerances, I think, for stuff like that. So I think you just got to kind of be aware of that to a degree. But I also think because the way that the Daredevil theme is presented again and it's and it's there's a simplicity to it it doesn't become overbearing and you can kind of get a lot of use out of it you can push it on people and it doesn't you know push them out of scenes and stuff so that scene originally was actually a song they tempted with a song it was kind of going to be kind of like a montage um 
against them. I can't remember what song they originally had in there, but it was my job to replace the song with score. Steven said, no, let's, let's do score on this instead. But they still wanted the energy of a song. And so I think that's how, how I kind of arrived at the, at the instrumentation that we did. It definitely, you know, it has a drum kit in it and guitars and it's, it's definitely more song, I'll call it songish than it is scoreish. Um, but I think it combines both worlds just from the techniques that I'm kind of using, like you said, the, the building, uh, repeating chords that are, you know, at the end of it, kind of building us out to it. And it's, uh, but it kind of follows a song format, you know, it's kind of got like a verse and a chorus and back to the verse. And then you can kind of, you know, hear it almost as a song, but yeah, that was a, uh, that was, it's always tricky to replace songs because songs have such a different energy to them than score does. But fortunately for us, no one gets to hear both of them. <laughs> they get to hear the final <laughs> version, so they can't, they can't figure out which one was going to be best. But um, I'm happy with the way that turned out. It's, it was a fun exercise. Well, to end on a high note, because, you know, Daredevil is a dark series, and so you'd think that the whole soundtrack would be filled with minor chords and everything, but there's a surprising number of major keys in your work, such as at the end of Hallway Fight, where the piano takes over. Is this mm-hmm. kind of your small way of infusing hope into the whole Matt Murdock mission? Yeah, hope. I mean, that's a perfect word. That was kind of like another theme that we always kind of want to have. You know, if anything, I think Daredevil has so much hope for Hell's Kitchen, you know, and we didn't want to lose that. You know, he's trying to help working class people out. He's one of them, you know, and, and there is this kind of, again, it comes back to him kind of having a heart. You know, he, he wants what's best for Hell's Kitchen. And I think that chord progression that we use at the end, it's actually part of his theme. It's, it's definitely got an uplifting characteristic to it that was really, you know, important as part of the, because it is, you're right, it's very, it's a very, very dark weighted score i would use those words to describe it but kind of having that glimmer of light um i think helps kind of balance out his character and and, and i think it kind of is a is a good balance of them he there is a large part of daredevil that can go down to those places but there definitely is a part of him too that always has a glimmer of hope with him so it was definitely something that was planned well on that note i want to thank you for joining us today it was very enjoyable discussing this with you yeah, Bill, thanks for having me. I'm excited for everyone to see season two. Yeah, we're really looking forward to hearing more John Paisano work as Daredevil returns to Netflix on the 18th. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Bye. And be sure to check out our other episodes of Sci-Fi Fidelity on SoundCloud. They're at soundcloud.com slash denofgeek. And we're on Facebook and Twitter as Sci-Fi Fidelity. And you can follow Den of Geek at Den of Geek US. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.